just warn you ahead of time, I'm going to be jumping around a lot in Scripture today, so get your fingers ready, okay? But we're going to start in Psalm 99, Psalm 99. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You are a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord, our God, is holy. May God bless and add his understanding to the reading of his holy word. Please be seated and let us pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word that is just as true today as the day that it was written. You have inspired your people throughout all generations. Open our hearts and minds to receive from you your truth, your grace and your mercy as you are holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've just joined us, we're towards almost the end of an eight-week sermon series in the Psalms, which we've entitled Summer in the Psalms. This is why we've got camping equipment up here at the front to set the scene as we've camped out in the Psalms for all these weeks, the past six weeks. And we have seen the pattern and purposes of God as we have read through the Psalms together. We have seen how we need to meditate upon God's word and not to be distracted by the world around us. We have seen how we can rest in the sure and certain knowledge of who God is. We've thought together of God's timing being far more important than good luck. And we have seen with urgency how we need to approach God in prayer this week as we reach Psalm 99 which is known by scholars as one of the enthronement psalms we're going to see how God is holy the enthronement psalms start at 93 and go to 100 so 99 is really almost the culmination of these enthronement psalms where we see God ruling as king on his throne If this was Game of Thrones, there would be no game. It would be over. We would know who would sit upon the throne because it is our God who is like no other. Jeremiah 10, 5 and 6 say this. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field and they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. This is the God we want and need to put our trust in, who is mighty to save. For he's high and mighty. He's far above all we can imagine and think about. And yet he's close at hand and full of grace and mercy for his people. And that's the tension that we live in. 
Despite what people may say about the God of the Old Testament not being like the God of the New Testament, actually you read all the way through, he's the same God. He is full of grace and mercy throughout the whole of Scripture, but he is also mighty and powerful. What has your image of God the Father been as you have read through the Psalms this summer? Is it of a distant and far off mighty king or is it of a close and intimate loving father? Well, the truth is that we hold both of those images in tension because they're both true. God does not and should not lose his majesty into the friendly and the familiar. He does come near and close in the person of Jesus Christ And we come into his mighty throne room only through the blood of Jesus shed for us upon the cross. For as believers, we are called saints. Not because of anything we've done, not because of any power or authority of ourselves, but because of the work that God is doing in each one of us. A process that we lovingly call sanctification to give its posh long word. It means being made holy being made more and more like Christ. And holy literally means being set apart, being set apart unto God. Well, the New Testament passage that jumped straight into my mind as I read through Psalm 99 was from Peter's first letter, chapter 1 and verses 13 to 25. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 25. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding work of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. There's little doubt, as Peter wrote those words, that he had Leviticus 11.44 in his mind, which says, For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. But it almost feels to me that Peter was writing commentary on Psalm 99. And you'll see the connections as we go through this psalm as well. Because for us to become more holy, we need to understand what the holiness of God really means and is like. 
Because when it comes to God, holiness is far more than just a description of his character, of his actions, his behaviour. It describes his very nature. He is set apart. He is different from us. He is free from any corruption, impurity or evils that we so easily see in the world around us day in and day out. Because far too often we think of holiness just in human terms, in actions and deeds, in the things that we do and don't do, in our regular church attendance or what we watch on television or choose not to or how we spend our money or we don't. As I say here, it's about the very being of who God is. That's why Christianity is different to any other religion or philosophy out there. We do not worship a God who was once a person and then ascended to Godhood. We do not worship a human being who's the best of the rest or the the least bad. We do not worship a created being, a a man-made framework or ideology or idealistic view of the world. We worship God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, who's been eternally existent, who created us for his glory. And our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the enthronement psalms, therefore, are very important for us as we seek to glorify God by giving us the right view of his glory, his grace, and his holiness. Each one of them, particularly Psalm 99, speaks of God as king reigning on his throne, not just as a metaphor of the position that God desires to have in our lives and how we should view him, but also about his very nature. In Psalm 99, there is no avoiding that God is holy. Now, the psalmist uses the main technique that he had available to him in order to really emphasize this point. He did not have bold on his computer, you know, to bold the things he wanted to make sure stood out like I do on this page. He doesn't have a highlighter pen, another trick that I use on a regular basis. Doesn't have colored uh, typeface or any of those things or underlining. What he has is repetition. So three times in nine verses, Verses three and five, God, you know, holy is he. And then finally, very specifically in verse nine, the Lord our God is holy. Remember when Jesus wanted to emphasize something, he said something twice. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, or truly, truly, I say to you. As a way of emphasizing here, we get it three times. And you can think of other times in scripture where God is referred to as holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 6, 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Or Revelation 4, 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In fact, the emphasis on the holiness of God cannot be denied. If you read through the whole of scripture, it's actually the definition and the description that's there more than any other. Certainly God is love, he is merciful, he is graceful, all of those things, but they're all elements of his holiness. And that's why what he has done for us in Jesus Christ is more and more amazing. Now, a bit of a strange reference here. You'll forgive me, hopefully. Follow with me for a moment. How many of you have seen the movie Despicable Me? 
Okay, the cartoon, yeah? Okay, <laughs> there is a great scene in that movie. The youngest daughter is really obsessed with things that are fluffy, particularly unicorns. He's so fluffy! The problem is sometimes we think of God like that. He's so fluffy, he's so comfortable, he's my security, he's my rest. Those things are true. But he's also mighty and powerful and bold and rules. And the earth does need to tremble. And that's what we see as this psalm begins. And I want to split it into three for us today. Verses one to three speak of God's reign. Verses four and five speak of God's rule. And verses six to nine, God's redemption. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at. God's reign, rule, and redemption. So verses one and two to begin with. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion, he exalted over all the peoples. Now, often we think of nations rising up against nations. That's an image that we have very clearly in our mind. Sometimes we think of nations rising up within themselves in civil unrest as well. And even Jesus was talking about that when he talked about signs of the end times in Matthew 24. But how many times do we focus on the image of a nation trembling in the sight of a sovereign God? We need to look to God as the one we want to be reigning over us, setting the tone for our daily lives, loves, actions and deeds. After all, fear of the Lord is not not something to be afraid of. It's something to live in awe of. Well, the psalmist goes on to give us some practical application of how we're to respond to God's reign if he's truly reigning in our lives and in the world. Verse three, let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. I may have told you this story before, but there's the eight-year-old child who goes to church for the very first time with his parents and he sits throughout the service and they go home and they're in the car on the way home and he seems a little upset and he's asked, whatever is the matter, didn't you enjoy church today? And he said, I didn't like all the swearing. (laughs) Whatever do you mean? He was asked. Well, they kept saying God and Jesus because there's reality there. We laugh, but the reality is that for some people, the name of God and the name of Jesus are nothing more than swear words. We need to reclaim the name of God. We need to reclaim Jesus's name when we hear it taken in vain. When friends of mine and I get together, I'll be honest, the language isn't always what you would desire and want, and I've even fallen into it as well. But any time that somebody takes the Lord's name in vain, they automatically apologise to me because they know what it means to me. Now, I tell them, don't apologise to me, but let's have the conversation. Why does it bother me? Why does it bother you that it bothers me? Let's have that conversation. It's an opportunity to take. Have you ever had that opportunity? Will you take that opportunity the next time it arises and have a conversation? Some of you have had the pleasure of travelling to Honduras with Richard Shields or been on any plane with him. When the plane lands, he says two words, praise Jesus. But he means it. But it has again started some of those conversations. We need to treat God's name with honour. 
we need to treat it with respect because he is holy. By holding on to this great truth, we're able to experience life and hope and praise of the real king. Not something somebody we're trying to figure out who is the king, who's ruling, but for the one that we're waiting for his return. And we need to have that urgency in mind of wanting others to see God's holiness for themselves as well. Which leads us to deeply desire to know God's rule in our lives and in the world. So we've looked at God's reign, let's look at God's rule. Verses four and five. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. God loves justice. He always has done. He always will do. He is a just God. Means on occasion, doesn't always seem fair, but he is just. It's not something new. God established his covenant with the people of Israel and his laws were given to them as a reflection of his holy nature. And although we do not live under the law as those of the Old Testament lived under the law, we still look to it as a reflection of how far we fall short in our own strength and know that we can only come in the strength of Jesus Christ and the atoning, atoning work that was accomplished upon the cross. God's character has not changed. Sin still must be punished and paid for. and Justice must be served. Therefore, we clearly see that God had a plan all the way along so that this could happen, that he could pay the price for our sins because he's the only one that ever could. Now, the footstool. Where do we worship? At the footstool. Um, and the psalmist uh, could be referring to one of three places from Scripture. We see the footstool is, uh, uh, is referred to in Isaiah 66.1 as the earth. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? It could be Mount Zion, which most agree is where it is referred to in Isaiah 60, verse 33. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary and I will make the place of my feet glorious. But most likely here, God's footstool is the Ark of the Covenant. As David refers to it in 1 Chronicles 28 verse 2. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. The ark represented the divine presence of God, containing as it did the tablets that God himself wrote the Ten Commandments on. They represented the justice of God. They also foreshadowed the price that would be paid by Christ upon the cross because nobody other than God the Son would ever be able to keep the law perfectly. Because the law is more than a list of do's and don'ts. 
It also laid out the need for forgiveness to be sought and received. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament literally set in motion the way of Christ to the cross as the only one who could ever keep those commandments perfectly, being fully human and fully divine. It's only Jesus that could take our sin upon himself. Therefore, our reaction to the justice of God is to worship at his footstool, to seek and know and have our lives informed by the commandments, not seeking to keep them for reward, but for the good of others and as the right way to live. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to change the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. He said that during the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 17. And the majority of people that you would speak to inside and outside of the church would, would agree, at least with the second half or two thirds of the Ten Commandments, they're a good way to live. Don't do this, don't do that. You know them. But the contention comes with the early ones and the place that God needs to have in our lives and in the world. His holiness. That's what makes the difference in the world around us. As believers in Christ, we know and proclaim the holiness of God to others. In order to do this, we have to exhibit it in our own lives as well. Perhaps one of the most helpful instructions in doing that is from a theme verse we had a few years ago in our church from Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Living in this way in the power of the Holy Spirit leads others to seek and to know and to ask for themselves and we then can point them towards Christ because as we're told in scripture we have a part to play in the ministry of reconciliation in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, we're reminded time and again, we can only come truly into worship, worship at God's footstool through the blood of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And this is what the closing verses of Psalm 99 really speak about and shout about. They shout about God's redemption and the relationship we can have with him. Verses six to nine, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was also among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and answered them. He answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statutes that he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord, our God, is holy. The psalmist gives us examples of those who sought God, who God chose and spoke through. And we see how God's holiness interacted with his people. It leads to answered prayer for the people at the time and forgiveness for them as well. But his justice still prevailed. Did you notice that? Because their earthly actions still had earthly 
consequences, especially for Moses and Aaron. They did not, just like the whole generation, the first generation to leave Egypt, none of them entered the promised land. Moses got to see it, but only from a distance. So the consequences were still there, even though the forgiveness was given. Maybe you've sought and received forgiveness from God, but you still need to be reconciled with the person that you wronged. I still remember vividly one communion Sunday just before the service, uh, our, our worship director that we had at the time, she and I had got into an argument like two minutes before the service and it hadn't resolved. And so before I could go to the communion table, I had to go up to the piano and seek her forgiveness. I'd already asked God for his forgiveness, but I had to ask her, do you need to do something like that? Also, there's times when we don't see the full answer to our prayers straight away. But often God gives us glimpses along the way of his holiness because he always succeeds in his will and his purpose. Think of sometimes when people have prayed for a certain circumstance or situation and then they've passed away before the answer to that prayer has come. I know there was a faithful band of prayer warriors in Wales 30 years ago that were praying for more ministers to be raised up in the Presbyterian Church of Wales. Ten years after those prayers was, were prayed, there was a group of about 15 of us that were ordained into the Presbyterian Church of Wales, and some of those people who prayed those prayers had already gone to glory. But God does answer in his time. Or think about those who gave and prayed for the building of this facility, who were not here by the time it was built. They knew God had a bigger work in hand, however. And perhaps you're praying for the salvation of a friend and you might not know the answer to that prayer till you're in heaven and you reunite with them as they arrive. Just as Moses and Aaron and Samuel came to the Lord on behalf of people, we now know that we have one mediator and that's Jesus himself. We're told this in 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 7. First of all, then, I urge you with supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. To be able to worship a God's holy mountain in the beauty of his holiness, we need to recognize it is not in our own strength. Because as sinful human beings, we cannot be in the presence of a holy God. It is only because of the cross of Christ that bridges the gap between our holy God and sinful humanity. And as we realize how holy God is, we realize how big that work of the cross truly is and how important it is. And how much we love our Saviour. If you know this already, come closer to it. Grow in that knowledge and that faith and that appreciation for God's reign and rule and redemption. And if you don't, then don't delay. 
embrace and know the holy God who reaches out to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let us exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain for the Lord our God is holy. To his name be the glory, the honour and the praise now and forever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you once more that you reach out to us, that you love us. Jesus, you died for us, but we're thankful that you have the victory over the grave, that you are seated at the right hand of the Father praying for us now and the Holy Spirit is here and we look forward to your return. Help us to proclaim your truth, your grace and your mercy between now and when you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.